0: We are in John, actually we're still in John chapter 1. I've been focusing a lot on John chapter 2 the past few days, but uh, we're in John 1 still talking about some of the first impressions uh, about Jesus as he began his ministry. Uh, Last week we focused on the ministry and the testimony of John the Baptist, whose, whose primary mission who was to point people to Jesus, was to prepare people uh, for Jesus to to come on the scene, for the arrival of the Christ. John was upfront and clear about the fact that he was not the Christ. He himself was was not the Messiah. He was not uh, Elijah, literally. He came in the spirit and power of Elijah in accordance with the prophecy of Malachi chapter 4 and verse 5. But he himself... Uh, When he was asked, they asked him, are you Elijah? He said no. And they asked him if he was the prophet, that is the prophet like Moses from Deuteronomy chapter 18, 15 through 18, uh, which of course we associate with Jesus because of passages in Acts 3 where Peter uh, associates that prophecy with Jesus. Stephen associates that prophecy with Jesus in Acts chapter 7. But to the first century Jewish mind, the prophet and the Messiah were different individuals. They were different people. And so even though John said, I'm not the Christ, they still asked, are you the prophet that Moses spoke of? And he said, no. Well, then who are you? What are you? I'm the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, he says. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said in that quotation, Coming from Isaiah chapter 40, verses 3 through 5, John understanding his mission, his role to to prepare uh, for the coming of the the Christ, to get people ready. Uh, That idea of make straight or make ready uh, kind of has the idea of going and clearing out the path, making it accessible, making it ready for the king to come along that path. And so John recognized his role that he was the one who went before Jesus and pointed people to Jesus. Hence his uh, expression when uh, Jesus comes along in verse 29. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John goes on to elaborate a little bit further. He was before me recognizing that Jesus was, uh, before he was a man, that he was with God. As as John says in the beginning of this this book, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. John recognized that, uh, John the Baptist recognized Jesus' eternal existence. He said, I didn't know him. We had a good discussion about that last week. Exactly what did John mean when he said, I don't know him? Uh, he knew who Jesus was, obviously, he even when Jesus came to be baptized. What did he say? I need to be baptized by you. But after that moment, it became even more clear when the spirit descended uh, and rested upon him. John said, that's, you know, that was the sign. That was the evidence. And he said, I know that he's the son of God. And that was John's witness. That's John's testimony uh, as we go through. This gospel, the idea of whether or not Jesus is the son of God, that's going to come up again and again. People are going to argue, dispute, question. They're going to get mad at Jesus for claiming to be the son of God. But here are the witnesses. Remember John's purpose. Go back, go to John 20, right? That those last couple of verses in John 20, 30 and 31, writing these things so that you may believe that Jesus is the son of God. And by believing, have life in his name. That was John's one of John's primary purposes in writing this gospel, so that whoever reads it can believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And he gives us witnesses. He gives us evidence. Here's one of the first. He says, he is the Son of God. And as the chapter continues, and I think this is kind of where we left off last week. We may, be, we may have covered this already, but we're going to go back over it because... Uh, I'm not entirely sure, but I think this is where we left off. Um, As as the chapter continues, we see the first disciples of Jesus really start to follow him. Uh, As we read in verse 35, the next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, behold, the Lamb of God. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. So it starts with John, John the Baptist, John the baptizer, Uh, three three Johns we're we're talking about now. We got John, the the apostle, right, who wrote the the book. John, the, the, the immerser, John the Baptist. And then John, the father of Peter and Andrew. Uh, again, I, I wish they could have been more creative with their names in the first century. Uh, but this is what we have. <laughs> but uh, so a lot, a lot of John's, but uh, we, can, we can get through it. But it starts with, with, with John pointing out to his disciples. He calls Jesus the Lamb of God. And those two disciples that are mentioned, uh, they decide to, to go with Jesus. It seems to, to learn more about him. Uh, and who were these disciples? Well, one of them we know. It was Andrew. He, he's, his name is given. Uh, he's, he's clearly identified. But, but who was the other one? There, there were two disciples of John who, who followed Jesus on that day. One of them was Andrew. But who was the other one? We don't know. Well, his name isn't given. It was John. It was John. Yeah. You think so? I think so too, but <laughs> we, we, we don't, it, his name isn't given. A lot of writers do think that it was John who would become John, you know, brother of James, son of Zebedee, who would become John the Apostle. And I mean, it fits because one of the characteristics of John's gospel, he never names himself. Even though in all three of the other Gospels he plays a a very prominent role, you know, he's one of the, the quote, inner circle, you know, he's there with Jesus at pivotal moments, um, but he never identifies himself by name, Uh, and this disciple is conspicuously left unnamed. So a lot of people think that it's John. I don't know that for certain, but um, it's, I, I think it's a strong possibility um, but you can you can be the judge, make the decision. Yeah, Norm.
1: Well, two things. One, when it talks about all the apostles being given, he never talks about himself. Right. So that leaves him, so that had to be him, because right. it's the only one left open. But the other thing is, I I personally think, and this is me, that because this was written later, not the other. Earlier. This was written some later. And he had a name, I mean, he was known in Ephesus. He was living in Ephesus at the time. And he was known. And he was teaching people at the time. And he wrote this. And I don't think he wanted to bring, he didn't talk about himself because I don't think he wanted to bring. Like, it would be like praising yourself. Right, right. Oh, I'm so great, I'm here, I'm this, i A sense of so modesty there. Yeah, does say it about himself, Yeah. but the people who knew this writing would know that he was talking about him.
0: Probably, oh yeah, for sure. And I mean, his early, early testimony, you know, going back very early on, you know, the disciple whom Jesus loved, uh, it, it, it's, you know, and he identifies himself at the end saying, you know, he's the one who testifies to this thing most people think, are are pretty sure it was John. Um, That's kind of the earliest testimony even, saying that John wrote this, uh, left himself unnamed. Um, You know, again, we don't have, it's not certain uh, that this unnamed disciple here is uh, John, the brother of James, but I kind of think it is. That's my opinion, though, so I'm not going to be dogmatic about it. I think it's interesting to
2: note that This isn't the story that is typically told to children, John's John's narrative. Yeah. The typical is Jesus saw them, the fishermen. The fishermen, yeah. But John gives an earlier account of our... Yeah,
0: and and that's that's exactly what this is. This is before, you know, they, you know, this is before Matthew 4. This is before Jesus encountered them as fishermen, which... Helps explain perhaps why they were so ready to just get up and leave everything. I mean, you know, this guy, if this guy shows up on the on the bank and you don't know him from Adam and he says, Hey y'all come follow me, now I'm gonna be like, Who is that guy? <laughs> I'm not leaving my business for some stranger that just showed up, you know, on the bank. But if they already knew him, had already had experience and had already, you know, followed him for a period of time. It makes a lot more sense that when he shows up and they're on the sea, you know, fishing and he says, "Okay, you know, uh, the way I've heard it had it described before is there were kind of three different levels of discipleship. And when we did Life of Christ several years back, we kind of covered this because we were covering all of the Gospels together. Uh, There is this initial call and it's kind of, you know, kind of loose, like, hey, come and Come and stay with me for a while. Come and come and visit with me for a little while. Come, come and learn a few things. But then in Matthew 4, when he sees them as fishermen, he's calling them to like a higher level. Come and I will make you fishers of men. You know, you're going to be more than just casual disciples. You're going to come and be, you know, formally my disciples. Kind of like a rabbi taking on students. You know, you didn't go to the rabbi and say, hey, I want to learn from you. The rabbi came to you, said, come learn from me. That's what Jesus was doing. And then later on, he goes even a step further and names them apostles and sends them out to do work uh, for the kingdom. So kind of a rough outline of that. But, um, but he gives them,
2: Matthew's account is like you said, a, another layer.
0: Right. Just in Mark and Luke
2: to get the step further where he shows them a sign. Yeah. But having yeah. them cast their nets on the other side. Yeah. And you, know you get
0: you get all of those stories together, you get the whole picture, right? <laughs> um, the, but
1: with it mentions Andrew, now it says the unnamed disciple. We, we pretty much think it's John, but yeah, uh, let's leave that. But these two were there with John the Baptist. They were. And they were following him now. Whether well, it's John or not, John was a fisherman, I forget, was Andrew a fisherman? I can't remember. I believe so. I believe he was there with yeah. Peter. Yeah, he was there John with Peter in the boat. John was with his family's business. Yeah. So he might have had free time and, and with Andrew to go and follow John the Bear just a little bit when he went out, and then he would go back. So they probably talked to the other people, like um, Peter and some other people, you know, yeah. how did... Uh, uh, Levi, Matthew. Yeah. How did Matthew know when Jesus came by him? Yeah. He must have well, heard something too, because that was a little bit later. So they had heard from John or Andrew because of John the Baptist.
0: Yeah. Well, Andrew and we'll assume John heard from John the Baptist <laughs> and. um then what did they do? Or at least we know what Andrew did. He went and found his brother. And I'm not sure what the exact mm-hmm. chronology of all this is, but the way I read it, that the, they stayed with Jesus for the rest of that day. And then after that, Andrew goes out to find Simon, his brother, and says, guess what? We found the Messiah. Simon comes along and you know, wants to see this for himself. Um, he's introduced to Jesus. We'll say more about that in a minute. You know, nothing else is said about the other disciple, but I can't help but wonder, if, if it is John, wonder if he went and found his brother. Maybe told him the same thing. We found the Messiah. Because both of them, later on in Matthew 4, when they encounter Jesus from their fishing boat, they both get up and follow him. So they both had familiarity with, with, the, with the Messiah at that point already. Again, speculation, I'll admit, but it's, it's a curious thing. It's something to, to wonder about. Uh, again, all four men, Peter, Andrew, James, John, they were those fishermen that we read about over there in Matthew 4. Can, Jesus said, I'll make you fishers of men. Can
1: we note that they spent the day with him and then they went to him? But it doesn't say anything about he called them at that time to be his apostles. Not really. Maybe later.
0: Yeah, I mean, well, when we get into the next chapter, he does have disciples. Uh, they're not named, but he did have some people that seem to already be following him to some degree. How, how deep that went, I don't know. You know, John's gospel is very different. John, you know, skips over a lot of the stories that we already have. I guess he's expecting us, you know, kind of fill in the gaps, you know, where those things were. Um, but, I mean, he, he also has his purpose, though. You know, his purpose isn't to tell us every detail. His purpose is to give us the evidence so that we know that Jesus is the Son of God. Yeah, Brace? I don't
2: want to get through all time, but why does John the Baptist not follow Jesus? Is it kind of he had already fulfilled his purpose?
0: That's a good question. I
2: like, don't know. the guy, and then the others go, and he just kind of hangs back.
0: Um, I mean,
2: you could assume he hangs back and doesn't say he does, and not he goes with
1: him.
0: Yeah.
1: He wasn't supposed to, from everything I've read and said in the head. John the Baptist wasn't supposed to, he was there, one calling in the wilderness, the way he lived. This was his calling. This was what God did with him with the Holy Spirit that yeah. he had with them. And he wasn't supposed to do that because people now knew him. And if he was with Jesus, then they might take him as being the number one instead of Jesus. Mm. So he had to go away, and that's why it, he was executed. Yeah. I mean I mean, God works in mysterious ways. We just have to think that He serves His purpose. And now Jesus is here. So it says, "I must be greater." Yeah, does it John the say that? Uh, you must be greater. I must be lesser. Yeah,
0: John in chapter three, he must increase. I must decrease. And that's and that probably has a lot to do with it. You know, he he's supposed to take the, you know, he's been at the front. You know, pointing people to Jesus, but now he's supposed to take the, I guess you can say, the backseat role, you know. And eventually, you know, he's no longer going to be there. He's going to be arrested, uh, remain in prison for a time, and then be killed. Uh, We can, you know, speculate about any kind of divine purpose behind that. Ultimately, he's killed because Herod was angry. Herod's wife, brother's wife, sister, that whole family has a. Very disturbing dynamic. Um, she was upset <laughs> and wanted John dead. That's the ultimate reason. It Was there some other divine purpose? Um, again, we can speculate, but we can't say for sure. But here we have, you know, possibly four of the first disciples of Jesus following him. And talk a little bit more about a couple of them. First of all, Andrew. I think Andrew, unfortunately, kind of gets overshadowed among the apostles because, you know, he's not one of the quote unquote inner circle. Um, There's not a whole lot said about him in the book of Acts. In fact, he may uh, may only be mentioned in the listing of the apostles in Acts chapter one. Then his name may not come up again. I would have to go back and double check that. But I think that's the case. You know, he, he gets overshadowed by his brother and by James and John and some of the others that, whose names we, we know more. I mean, we know Andrew's name because he was the brother of Peter, right? Because he was there in the boat when Jesus called them uh, on the Sea of Galilee. But here is someone who I think is an example for us Because he may not be one of the better known disciples of Jesus, but definitely he deserves to be commended. Because just about everywhere we see Andrew, he's bringing someone to Jesus. Right? Andrew brought Simon. You know, think think about that. Think, Think about, you know, who Peter was. And I'm not trying to put Peter up on a pedestal above the other disciples, but let's face it, especially in the early days of the church you know his role at least as far as we can see is much more elevated right? He was the one who kind of spoke out among the above the rest on Pentecost. He's the one whose story we follow uh, in the first few chapters of Acts Acts chapter 3 and going on you know get into Ch- Acts 8 and 9. He's the one who first preaches in Acts chapter 10 to the Gentiles but where did Peter first hear about Jesus
1: Andrew.
0: from Andrew. You just imagine, you know and, and I know we're talking in hypotheticals now, but just imagine if Andrew had said, "Oh, he's not going to care about this." Can you imagine? On top of that later, one of the most famous stories in Jesus' ministry told in all four gospel accounts. When he fed the 5,000. John's going to tell us. It was Andrew. Who brought the boy to Jesus. That had the, the five loaves and the two fish. Can you imagine if Andrew hadn't been there? And then still later. And this is almost kind of a, a passing reference. But we'll talk more about it when we get there. In John chapter 12. There were some Greeks who were in Jerusalem. Uh, at the time of the Passover. And they wanted to know Jesus. They talked to Philip first of all, but Philip came to Andrew. And Andrew and Philip brought them to Jesus. So he's always bringing someone to Jesus. Every, almost every time. I maybe I shouldn't say almost every time, but many times we see him, especially in John's Gospel. He's bringing someone to Jesus.
2: Just thinking about familial relationships. Andrew was used to Peter being loud now. Always, <laughs> I mean, he, he's always probably had yeah. to take a to Peter or Simon or whatever he wanted. He called him, and so that he was used to being in the background. Right. So he learned how to, to manipulate that and use it.
0: Yeah. For that, Jesus' advantage. That's an interesting thought. I hadn't really, I hadn't really thought about that, and and I laughed because you know Peter you know, the bold and brash character that he is, but you're right, Andrew probably would have known all about that um, and it would have probably had years of practice. <laughs> um, that's interesting. I, I hadn't thought about that, but for sure. And, and it, I mean, it just goes to show, you don't have to be at the, at, at the front of the pack, if you will, to serve the Lord. There's a lot that goes on behind the scenes and we need those people just as much as we need the folks in the front. Uh, to do those things. Let's talk about Simon for a minute. Uh, and the reason I'm calling him Simon right now is because that's what he's called right here in this text. We know it's Peter, right? We, we know it's that apostle, but he's called by his, his his Hebrew name, Simon, and he's introduced to Jesus. Jesus says, you shall be called Cephas. Cephas is, I think, Aramaic, Aramaic and Hebrew are closely related in a lot of ways, but I think Cephas is Aramaic. Um, It corresponds to the Greek Petros, which means rock, not the bedrock or foundation on which Jesus would build the church in Matthew 16. That's Petra. This is Petros, but but he's a, a rock nonetheless. But it's interesting, and I know I've shared this before. Some of you... I may mean, maybe recently. It's interesting as we go through the Gospels. For a good while, he, Peter isn't all that rock-like, is he? You know? A rock, we, you know we think of a rock as being steady, durable. That's not really Peter for for most of the story of the Gospels. He certainly is
1: putting
0: them out. He certainly is good at that. Um but later on in his life, when we get to the book of Acts, you know, it was, it was Peter there on the day of Pentecost. No, these men aren't drunk. Let me tell you what's happening, right? So he quotes from the book of Joel. He goes to other passages in the Old Testament to tell them about the Savior, about the Messiah who has come. It's Peter, you know, there in Acts chapter three with the man who, who, who had been lame, And he heals him and begins to preach the name of Jesus. In Acts chapter 4 and 5, when they're arrested, Peter tells them, you know, we're we're, going to keep doing what we've been commanded to do. We must obey God rather than men. And of course, Peter, who preaches the gospel to Gentiles first. And when he gets back to Jerusalem, there was people who had a problem with it. Peter stands firm on what God had sent him to do. So, He wasn't always a rock. Maybe Jesus wasn't so much commenting on who Simon was at that moment, but who he would become later on in his life. And maybe there's something there, a bit of application to take from that. You know, sometimes we look at ourselves, we see the flaws, right? We see the shortcomings, and I'm not saying that we, we should just look in the mirror and be like, oh yeah, everything's okay. But despite all that, Jesus knows what we can become. Just as He knew with Peter. And I don't know about you, but I find that very encouraging. Because uh, I, I look in the mirror. <laughs> Say again? <laughs> exactly. 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 I mean, it's a little bit like, you know, Paul over in 1 Timothy 1, you know, I'm the chief of sinners, right? And I became, I was given mercy so that others might know, hey, you can receive mercy too. I look at Peter. <laughs> yeah, sometimes I put my foot in my mouth. Sometimes I'm not as sturdy or strong as I should be. But he did it. <laughs> I can do it too. There's hope for, like you said, Gene, there's hope for me. Uh, And Jesus knows, Jesus knows what I can become. And I should take comfort in that. I should take peace in that.
1: He was sort of outgoing, so he probably was outgoing a lot. I mean, I'm not going to get into it, but there's a number of examples like that he did something uh, brash that he shouldn't have done yeah, uh, and several times it is that, uh, and Jesus even uh, rebuked him once because of that.
0: He he definitely wasn't afraid to express his opinion. <laughs> um,
1: that like she says, and that was a good idea because that's sort of what I was going to say. Andrew was probably always in the back, but he he was in the back thinking. Sure, it seemed like you know. After the Day of Pentecost, yeah, the Holy Spirit was in Peter, and he was rash and did that. But the rest of them too could to get out and preach and probably. Oh, back, we Just
0: we don't hear. That, that, and, and that's something to keep in mind. And this is kind of an aside, but we'll, we'll, I'll say it and then we'll, we'll we'll move on. That just because we don't read about most of the apostles after Acts chapter one doesn't mean they weren't out there doing something. They were out there, and there's a lot of uninspired tradition, you know, of, you know, this apostle went here, this apostle went there, you know, on and on. But, you know, and I don't know if any of that can be confirmed, but there is a lot of, you know, historical or, like I said, tradition regarding those things. But, you know, again, just because, you know, Peter and John and Paul kind of get the spotlight doesn't mean that Andrew wasn't out there, you know preaching, teaching for the time that, you know, he was alive. James was out there and and Philip who we're about to talk about and and the other apostles. Yeah, they were out there too. They were out there doing the work as well, but let's move on because I want to get to, I want to at least get to the end of John chapter one. Um, And I I was hoping to get into chapter two. We, we, we may or may not get there, Um, but that's okay. That's okay. I appreciate the discussion. I'm glad we can do this. We we study together, we learn together, and and, and that's a good thing. But but moving on to to the latter part of John chapter 1, beginning in verse 43, the next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said to him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe? You'll see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. So now we're going to shift to another pair of men, Uh, Simon and Andrew. we, We mentioned them. Maybe James and John were included in that earlier chapter or earlier section as well. But now we shift to Philip and Nathaniel. Uh, Jesus has his, his uh, you know, his, his, he's put Galilee into his GPS. That's his destination. That's where he's headed. Much of his ministry is gonna be conducted in Galilee. If you read the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, And Luke, they focus primarily on Jesus' work in Galilee. They don't really talk much about what happens in Judea, in Jerusalem, until that final week of his life. John's focus is going to be much more on things that happened in Judea, in Jerusalem. That's not to say he's not going to talk about things that happened in Galilee, but his focus is going to be mainly elsewhere. But for the moment, we're heading to Galilee. Uh, he finds Philip, who was from Bethsaida. I have a map that we probably won't get to tonight, but maybe when I pull that up, we can. Uh, I'll show you where Bethsaida is. It's kind of uh, around the Sea of Galilee. It's up there in that northern region. It was the hometown of Simon and and Andrew. Is that what it, I think is what it said? Um, I had to go back and. And look at Andrew and Peter, using the name Peter now. Um, And Jesus finds Philip and says to him, come follow me. And I don't know, maybe Philip had heard something from Andrew or or Peter. Because, you know, they're from the same town. Maybe they knew each other. Maybe not. I don't know. Anyway, Jesus finds him, says, come follow me. Philip goes and finds Nathanael and tells him, we found found the one that Moses and the prophets wrote about. Talking about the Christ, the Messiah. His name is Jesus. He's the son of Joseph. He's from Nazareth. And how does Nathaniel respond? (laughs) Can anything good come out of Nazareth? You know? Uh, Nazareth, it seems, didn't have much of a reputation. Uh, we all know places like that, don't we? Let's be honest. Uh, we all know places where if we, hear something, you know, if we hear something bad going on in that area, we're like, oh yeah, that's just par for the course. Nazareth seemed to have that kind of reputation. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? For Nathaniel, it's the last place he would have expected the Messiah to come from. But I love how Philip handles his remarks. You know, Philip scoffs at the idea, or Nathaniel scoffs at the idea. Philip just says, come and see. Come and see for yourself, is is, is the idea there. And oh, how much there is in that short three-word statement. Come and see. Y'all, that's the message that has to be at the heart of our evangelism. Come and see Jesus. Are there issues that need to be addressed from time to time? Most certainly there are. We do need to preach the truth about, you know, things that are going on in the world. We need to handle the issues. But the primary message, come and see Jesus. That's what it's got to be. And, and if and when people truly encounter Jesus, when we introduce them to Jesus in the Scriptures, and hopefully we're showing them Jesus through, through our lives. We've kind of been talking about that on Sunday night in Colossians 3. But when that happens, if they've got a heart that's ready to receive Him, now, now we understand the soil has to be Good soil, right? Matthew 13. There's that parable there. You know, we know. You know, we're just called to sow the seed, not to be soil inspectors. But we we have to understand if the soil is good, if they've got a heart to receive him, then their response will be like Nathaniel when he met Jesus. You're the Son of God. You're the King of Israel. And yes, there is another witness. Jesus is the Son of God. John continues to build that case (coughs) so that you may believe that Jesus is the Son of God and by believing have life in His name.
1: I'm always interested in, and then Philip said, come and see. When he got there, Jesus says, and this is the one. That, uh, Behold, an Israelite indeed, whom there is no deceit. He knew that Nathaniel was such an honest person. Yeah. And there was no deceit. And then he says, "How do you know? How
0: do you know who I am?" And he says, "I, I saw you under the fig tree." Then he says, "You're the Son of God." Yeah. But N- it's that interaction? You know, Nathaniel had a good heart. You know he was he was skeptical at first, right? When he heard Nazareth, but then when he saw the evidence, when he met Jesus, he said, "Oh, now I get it." It is for this yeah. If they had,
1: if they knew the law, if they knew this, oh, this it says Jesus was born in Beth. It this he was born in Bethlehem, and that. So now he's coming from Nazareth, well, nothing so good. 30-some years has passed since he's been born. Yeah. And the fact that he was actually born in Bethlehem and now living in Nazareth yeah. was
0: lost. Yeah, and, and that might come up a little bit later on in, in, fu- in a future yeah. chapter because I think his being from Galilee is going to be something that gets brought up in another occasion um, rather than, you know, Bethlehem. But uh, Nathaniel recognizes Jesus is the Son of God. He He... He he hears what Jesus says and, you know, Jesus remarks on that because because you've seen this, now now you believe you're going to see greater things than this. (laughs) You're going to see greater things than this. And and Jesus makes a statement there in in verse 51. might seem a bit strange when you first read it. Truly, truly, I say to you, you'll see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now, if you have a, a, a working knowledge of the Old Testament, you might recognize that reference. Anybody know where that might come from? A little bit louder. <laughs> Jacob. Jacob had a dream. I can't remember exactly what chapter it is in Genesis, but he had a dream. It was at Bethel. And he, he well, it was before, it, he named it Bethel for this reason, but he had a dream and he saw a ladder or some versions say a stairway Extending in, you know, from the earth to heaven and, you know, from heaven to earth. And there were angels going up and down. Ascending and descending on that on that ladder. And now Jesus kind of brings that idea into his ministry, into his life. You're going to see angels ascending and descending upon the son of man. what Jesus does, he puts himself in the place of that ladder. He's the one that connects heaven and earth. He's the one. And again, that's a theme that we know gets explored time and time again in, in John's gospel. You know, John John writes a lot about the same stuff. <laughs> he, he repeats his themes. He's hammering this home. Again, it's kind of like being, you know, in a courtroom and he wants you to recognize all of these different pieces of evidence, and so he keeps coming back to them. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is the connection between heaven and earth. You know, you go over to John 1 and verse 18. He makes the Father known. John 14 um, and verse 6, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And then a little bit further down in verse 8 or 9, you know, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And there are other (laughs) examples that we'll look at Maybe something to be on the lookout, look for times when Jesus is, you know, for lack of a better word, bridging the gap between heaven and earth. Oh, yes, Nathaniel would see even greater things than Jesus knowing who he was before he showed up. Three minutes. Questions or comments? (laughs)
2: There's, I have a footnote about um, when Jesus says, "In whom there is no guile," uh-huh. and it referred back to Jacob again <clears throat> when he is accused of with guile um, tricked his brother. Okay. So he's saying that this you are equal okay. to Jacob, who had no guile yeah. at first.
0: Yeah. And, and Nathaniel, being a Jew, would know that reference. So, so you know, there, there it's a little bit multifaceted there. The reference possibly to Jacob, whose name means deceiver, and who very much lived up to that name for the first part of his life um, in the things that happened with his brother, in the things that happened with Laban. Uh, well, of course, he was deceived by Laban, but he did some stuff of his own, too. Um, but um that's an interesting connection. I want to look more into that. Not that I doubt you, but I I just I want to I want to study that a little bit more. That's 20 I knew it was 20 something. Couldn't remember exactly. 28. Okay. about Okay. Yeah, he, he certainly did that. Um we're not going to get into John chapter 2 tonight. Uh we would get like Half, a, you know, not even half a page in uh, to m- n- notes, and then we would be done. Uh, real quick, because this was the next slide, um, as I promised. Uh, Bethsaida is right there, just on that tip-top part of the Sea of Galilee, and I think recently there may have there been some like some archaeological work going on in that a- area, trying to find like the exact site of Bethsaida because it's not in, exactly sure and we know it's in that region but exactly where it is we're not entirely sure but there's been some work being done said, no,
2: there is. That was from Cana.
0: that's right we were going to talk about that in chapter 2
1: <laughs> there, there is a
0: house there in Bethsaida that some believe and it's got a picture of the basement where they think early Christians met as the home of uh, Many believe there in Israel is the home of Peter and his mother, right there by Temple of the best So it's at least that's a lot of people are going to look at it there. I also, I think the uh, tarnishing of the name of Nazareth may come because of the tension between Jerusalem and Samaria, um, and Nazareth being so close to Samaria that it was. For a long time, there was a lot of dissension between those two areas. Oh, sure. I mean, and you know, I'm pretty sure. Now, I don't know how this applies, since Nathaniel himself was a Galilean, but a lot of folks in Judea kind of looked down on Galileans, like they were, you know, country bumpkins for a, for lack of a better word. You know, uh, you know, they you see that several times. There's questions about. You know, how can the apostles know all this? Because they're Galileans. You know, it was assumed they were uneducated or, or, or less educated than the Judeans were. Um, but then, of course, Nathaniel himself was, he was from Bethsaida in Galilee. So I don't know uh, regarding that. Maybe he'd lived in Judea for a long time and it rubbed off on him. I don't know. Uh, anyway, we're out of time. So I'm going to have to put a stop on it there. We'll be in John 2 next week. Uh, and talk about Jesus' first miracle, and hopefully talk about his uh, cleansing of the temple in the latter part of John two. Should be an interesting study. I'm looking forward to it. But thank you for your time and attention this evening. Thank you for your comments, your questions, and uh, I, I do enjoy when we can, you know, have a study together. Uh, that is that is a good thing. It, it, it's difficult sometimes, but it's a good thing. So thank you so much, and uh, we'll we we'll. we'll Stop there, pick up next week.